lights, camera, action, and roll 2024 right here on The Film File, the film show for film geeks by film geeks. Hello and welcome to a brand new year, but a not so brand new film file because I'm still Lee Ford. And I'm certainly, definitely still Andy Meakin. Welcome one and all. I hope you had a lovely Christmas and uh, thank you for joining us again in this brand new year. Andy, did you have a, a, a wonderful Christmas? Was it a wonderful Christmas time, as the song says? <laughs> it was a day off work and that's about oh, okay. it for me. Um, it was a nice relaxing Christmas. I mean, I, I got a good selection. I got a present this year that I've had on my wish list since 2013. There's been a board game that I've had my eye on since okay. 2013. It's been sat there, but it's always been like one of these £60 or above prices. But apparently it dropped in sales. So um, I got that present twice. <laughs> uh, <so laughs> what was the board game can i ask i know nothing about board games old time stories it's uh i mean i've not not had a chance to fully delve into it yet but it's one that you cooperatively work through scenarios in like traveling through time and fixing elements of time how the thing progresses is determined by how you work together as a team and there's there's a whole load of supplements that you can buy for it to give you new stories etc once you've exhausted all the ones that are in the um, main board game. So I'm quite looking forward to sitting around with the right group and working through the campaign on that one. Uh, but yeah, I got it twice. So uh, luckily, one of the people who got it, which was the wife, hers was still within the returns window. So she sent that back and traded it in for two 4K UHDs for me. Um, what did you get? I always love to know what people have got. Last night in Soho, which I absolutely enjoyed. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't. I've watched the film again, and I want to watch through the extras. I've listened to it with, I've listened to the cop, one of the commentaries already, and I also got Smokey and the Bandits, which is why <laughs> it's going to be coming up in a couple of weeks as one of our deep dives. Because we mentioned before, well, we were talking about something on one of the topics, and I said the Smokey and the Bandits was my kind of. That, it was when we were doing Mad, 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 Mad World. Right. I said yes. Smokey and the Bandit was that road movie kind of film that I was that age for. And so I revisited that. And I have to say, the cleanup that they've done on the 4K restoration of that is sparkling. It's a really good 4K. So I've watched that. I've got loads of extras on there to watch as well. I'm loving building my 4K collection now and slowly replacing some of my old DVDs and Blu-rays with the 4K upgrades. I've not stepped into that territory yet, um, though I should because I bought a brand new player, if you remember. Yeah, last year, uh, and I've not, I've not given it the the rollout that it deserves yet. So uh, I need to do that. Do you get anything nice? Anything nice? Did I get anything nice? Well, um, it's it's been an odd old Christmas because this has been the plague house. Uh, oh. Christmas was nice. We went to friends to uh, some friends and neighbours, and they did uh, they did dinner for us. And then we hit Boxing Day. Now they all came down with COVID, so we thought, ah, we've we've got COVID. But we escaped that. I got some infection, some chest infection, which knocked me out. Ooh. Basically, I've, I've not shook it off now. So this is what started just before around Boxing Day. I know you're a bit crook just before Christmas because uh, yeah, had, I, that so I nice episode where you coughed about four hundred times in the recording. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah, so so maybe it did. And I've taken endless COVID tests, but nothing has shown up as positive. But then again, I'm hearing that this latest uh, uh, doesn't show up. COVID doesn't show up. So Ooh. I don't know. But 
coughing and spluttering and, and slept, which has not been bad. You know, it's not been the worst thing. I've just been kind of housebound and, and not wanting to do anything. Managed to make it out on New Year yeah. uh, to some friends and we had a nice meal. But I, as soon as we got back, I think all the energy that I had left over was, was spent by that. And I think I slept the entire next day. So I've just, just been one of those when I've not done enough. I plan to go to the pictures. I plan to watch a great deal and nothing kind of made me wanted to do that. So it's not been dreadful. It's just not been, just not done anything, which I, I hate wasting time. I hate throwing mm. away time, but it was a nice Christmas. I had a last minute surprise just before Christmas because uh, one of my old housemates from when I was at uni, Terry, he sent us a message because he'd managed to get some tickets for the Joe Carnell festive gig, which always takes place around about the 23rd of December. And for me, Christmas doesn't start until I've been to a Joe Carnell Christmas knees up. I did see that mentioned and uh, it sounded like a good night. It always is. Uh, we, me and Terry, it's become an annual tradition when, whenever. Well, whenever they've run, because it didn't run over COVID and it's only last year that it started up again. It's it's just been a great way once a year, me and Terry, like catch up with each other. We like meet up about an hour or so before and have a catch up, see how we're getting on with our lives and then go and enjoy a festive gig before saying have a good one, mate. And I'll see you next year. Um, it's a great knees up. I mean, even if you're not really a big fan of Milburn, uh, because they cover everything and it'll just get like guest singers coming out. It's just a fun evening out for anyone who likes any kind of music. Excellent. Uh, uh, did you get your present from me? Was it? Yes. Uh, my, TARDIS, timey -wimey. my TARDIS is now keeping the timey-wimey in the holy wally. Um, it's up, <laughs> up, up on the wall above a few of my uh, Funkos, which are on the wall in the hall, because my Funkos in the, on the wall in the hall. That sounds like a Dr. Seuss book. <laughs> the Funkos on the wall in the hall. <laughs> um, <laughs> I've got my Doctor Who Funkos in the hallway so it just made sense to have the TARDIS just above them so it's uh thank you very much for that it was a, a nice little welcome. surprise uh wasn't expecting it because uh, I'm not really one for gift giving or like getting things and I never really care but it was a nice little nice little brought a smile to my face when I opened it and I just thought oh it's a TARDIS time clock <laughs> excellent well I, I got one I got one for my birthday and I thought ah oh, you know what I know I would like one of those and I should track down where it came from and uh, I thought I know it like that <laughs> and it was you sir oh so that's our our Christmas out of the way should we start with 2024 as we mean to go on because in this week's show we're just going to be doing a, basically a, a roundup of, of 2023 of the films that meant something to us across many different films we set our last social challenge for our very last proper show I guess we could set you a social challenge for 2024, which is an obvious one, really. Yeah. What are you most looking forward to? Yeah. Uh, film geek-wise, that is. I think particularly for the first half of this year, because uh, yeah. a lot of the back end of the year hasn't been fully mapped out yet, so you might not be aware of some. But what are the big hitters up until about June that you've got your eye on? And, and I think that should be all things geek. So it doesn't have to be a movie. It can be a TV show. could be a game, as long as there is some geekery to it because this is the film show for film geeks by film geeks and you are our loyal geeks and uh, uh you tell us what's geeking you out for 2024 and yes. we'll have our our roundup of those answers next week for the answers for what we left you with hanging just over christmas on our festive special we'll, so long ago we'll get to them later in the show because as you're aware we're doing a look back at 2023 as our deep dive for this special episode so it makes sense 
if it seems though that was questions about films that people enjoyed over 2023 or what surprised and what disappointed them. Makes sense that we're going to slot our answers and your answers later in the show. And that's our show for today. But let's start with the box office and the news. So because it was the Christmas period, uh, a quiet period as far as news goes, uh, but the box office has been an interesting old time. We had the launch of Aquaman Lost Kingdom as the big UK film, but in the States, there was Wonka. And it seems to me that that's been the golden ticket. So in the US, Wonka held onto its top spot, taking 14.1 million this weekend, facing some stiff competition from new Blumhouse horror thriller Night Swim that opened on 11.8 million. Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is on 10.6 million this weekend, keeping it into third place. Migration, the animated feature from Illumination, is in fourth place with 10 million. And Anyone But You holds up the fifth place with 9.8 million. Here in the UK, Wonka, once again, fifth week on release and is still at the top spot. 3.8 million it took this weekend. It's up to a whopping 53 million on the UK box office alone. One Life is in second place, taking 3.3 million. Priscilla is in third place, 1.3 million. Anyone But You in fourth place with 1 million added onto its total. And Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom just about holding into the top five with 938,000 this weekend. Wonka has done really well. I mean, in the UK, it's done phenomenal, but it was expected to do phenomenal in the UK market. But worldwide, it's passing 400 million on a 125 million budget. So it's been a pretty good success. Whereas Aquaman, yes, it's not performed as poorly internationally as what analysts were initially expecting. I mean, you've seen some reports saying, well, it's it's already catching up with Black Adam and it's already doing this. It's like, yeah, it's only just passing 266 million at the moment on a 205 million budget and it's slowing down. And it's worth noting that 50 million of its international market came from China, which a lot of other releases of its nature over the past year didn't manage to do anything more than about 15 million in the Chinese market because they got a delayed release. This is one of the rare times when the film came out at the same time in China as the rest of the world. Because usually they get about a month behind, and by which point there's pirated copies out there, which is stymieing the market. So it's not a huge success, and it is a bit of a washout for DC overall. Analysts have now been looking ahead to what 2024 is going to bring to us. And they're already expecting that in the US, they might see a drop of around a billion dollars at the US box office because of all the strike actions that were taking place last year, which has pushed everything later this year. So the first half of this year is looking quite sparse overall. But as always, we will update on a weekly basis with what the box office is doing and what surprises us and what doesn't surprise us. So let's get into the news. And... Um... I've got a few things, and I'm pretty sure you've got a few things. Well, I, I want to start off, uh, like, let's just talk about uh, the fact that Steamboat Willie is now in the public domain. Oh, yes. And what that actually means. Because you can't have missed the news that literally as soon as it turned around the 1st of January and Steamboat Willie, the 1928 short film that launched Mickey Mouse, has now become public domain. And so there's now at least three horror films that I've read about that are drawing upon the character. There's video games that are drawing upon the character. Everyone seems to be jumping into it in order to go, well, we can all use this now. But we need to make it clear, and Disney have tried making it clear, but no one's paying attention, 
that it doesn't mean that you can make your own Mickey Mouse show or Mickey Mouse merchandise because there's various factors that you need to take into account. The image of Steamboat Willie Mickey, Mickey is the only thing that's public domain. You cannot make something called Mickey Mouse and use that image because Mickey Mouse is still an established trademark. Disney's legal team are going to sue your butt off if you start doing that. You cannot put gloves on him because the Mickey with gloves came later on and that's still protected. You literally have to be emulating that look but not call it Mickey Mouse. I know that one of the horrors is calling it Mickey but you're leaving the mouse out and another one is calling it horror mouse and leaving the mickey out so they're trying to be smart but i think disney's legal team are going to have a field day this year because it's more than misreporting of this which is causing problems because most reports are just saying it's public domain and people just don't understand it and are instantly going hey i can start doing it so if you've been rushing off to design your own mickey mouse t-shirts now thinking disney aren't going to sue you please hold back on that idea because um we know how litigious disney's lawyers can get at the briefest of things they're going to be ready to jump at anything and anyone who's starting to trade on their properties. And to quote Disney on this one, who are famously protective of any of its copyrighted characters, they're not going to stand for any kind of nonsense. And I quote, we will, of course, continue to protect our rights in the more modern versions of Mickey Mouse and other works that remain subject to copyright. And we will work to safeguard against consumer confusion caused by unauthorized uses of mickey and their other iconic characters there i think (laughs) i think that's as clear as it needs to be Uh, but no doubt this year i'll end up reviewing some absolute trash junk films that are using the mickey mouse character because uh well i watched winning the pooh blood and honey didn't i out of curiosity i'm gonna watch anything that they churn out on a ten dollar budget in order to try to cash in quick on this i'm staying with disney Cruella star Emma Stone shares an update on Disney's long-planned rumoured sequel. I had a lot of time for Cruella. I sat through it during COVID, so it became an absolute COVID joy. And even with everything stacked against it, Mm. it still did a respectable amount at the box office. I wasn't overly enamoured with it on first watch, but on the second viewing, I absolutely loved it. It's one of those films that yeah. I maybe just wasn't in the right mood for it the first time round. But the second time round, I got it. And I'm so excited. Please tell me that this sequel is still going ahead. Well, hopefully sooner rather than later, she's expressed. But there's a work in progress kind of thing going on with the script. But she shall see. She's a blast. Um, she's the best character I've ever worked with. But at the moment, it's all a work in progress. So it's saying, yes, she does want to do it. She does want to go back to playing Cruella and why not she had a whale of a time you can tell Uh, and uh, I would certainly like to see Cruella de Vil come into Mm. her own and explore the character uh, that uh, has now been the stage has been set but where does that character go to become that character in 101 Dalmatians what else we got well it's a new year but that ain't going to stop me talking about Zack Snyder is it (laughs) (laughs) And uh, on the run-up to Rebel Moon releasing, Snyder's promotional tour had him talking with various outputs, including The Atlantic, where he's amusingly said that he's got superhero fatigue. And he says that comic book adaptations are in a cul-de-sac, which are no longer interested in selling self-contained stories. In his words, no one thinks they're going to a one-off superhero movie anymore. This is the guy who Rebel Moon (laughs) part one, which is going to be a 
two-parter, which has been split into an extended cut and a standard cut, which has got plans for four or five other films that expand out from it, moaning about things not standing on their own. M- my mind has just boggled. However, he has also said that he would be, he'd love to tackle James Bond and do like a youthful James Bond. And I have nothing but hatred for that whole idea. And I never want him to touch James Bond throughout his whole career coming forwards, given everything that he's given us so far. But he spoke additionally with um, one outlet, that outlet being Letterboxd, the movie tracking site that I'm very, very keen on. And he was talking about like his kind of influences, the four movies that he would dub as his absolute favourites. And um, he's he's very much influenced by the 70s and 80s. The list included the original Star Wars from 1977, Bob Foster's autobiographical 1979 fantasy drama All That Jazz, which starred Roy Schneider. Great film. Um, Excalibur, which we've both got yeah. love for, and David Lynch's Blue Velvet. Um, so he's he, he loves the same kind of films that we love. Come on, Zach. You can do better films if you're influenced by them. And in particular, he said with his Star Wars one, that if you don't include that and you're my age, I take small issue. I'd be like, really? And yeah, I kind of feel we kind of feel the same way. If you're of our age yeah. set and you don't particularly like Star Wars, it's like, where were you in 1977? Yeah, it's interesting to see like his like what he thinks is influences, and then compare it to what he's delivered because I don't know what went wrong. I've I've got two questions for you. Where is the Rebel Moon, and who is the Child of Fire? Because they're in the title, but no one mentions them at any point. <laughs> Answers on a postcard too. The film file. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've had some an update on Stephen Ewan's Thunderbolts casting, which was announced quite some time ago and that is sadly he's had to drop out of the production Uh, but that is down to conflicting schedules as opposed to some of the clickbait that i've seen that he's he's left in a huff Uh, i i've read that it was down to simply uh, he's got another project he wants to do first yeah it was a result of um, the sag after strike dragging on it meant that when things came back he's ended up having to try to juggle his time scale time scales a bit and it just won't work out for him in his words i think for me time passing and things shifting kind of pulled me out of it but jake schreier i know is going to do an incredible job and he then went on to said like to make it clear that he still wants to do a marvel movie but thinks that this scheduling conflict exit might make a studio hesitant to hire him again in his words I probably peed off too many people leaving, so I'm just going to say thank you for having me. But please, Marvel, give him a chance. Give him another chance sometime down the line. Find a role for him and bring him back in because the guy wants to work with you. Another film that was delayed to the Sagafra and WGA strikes, and that was the live-action reboot of How to Train Your Dragon. It appears that Gerald Butler will be making a return. The butler who performed the voice of Chief Stoyak, the vast, and the animated films will play the character again in the remake. The live-action remake is currently slated to hit theatres June 13th, 2025. Mason Thames and Nico Parker are already cast in that film as Hiccup and Astrid, and uh, it's the first time that a DreamWorks animation has been adapted over to live-action. Stranger Things filming has now commenced on the final season of Stranger Things. The strikes last year delayed the start of the production by seven months in total. It's very unlikely that we're going to see any of it by the end of this year, but hopefully early 2025, we'll see at least half, like the first half of this final season. Henry Cavill, who we'll see next in the film Argyle, has basically said by playing a super spy, hasn't ruled him out 
becoming the next Bond. And, and that's the news that I'm looking forward to, I think, most this year, casting news. There's that, mm. the Fantastic Four. But who is going to take over the uh, Bond mantle? Um, I'd yeah. like it to be Cavill. I think he would make a great Bond, having recently rewatched The Man from Uncle. We'll wait and see. But I know that's casting news I'm certainly giddy for this year. Yes. Bad news for fans of the Scream franchise is that after Melissa Barrera was fired and then Jenna Ortega left the project, now filmmaker Christopher Landon has also announced that he has exited Scream 7 and he will no longer direct. That's not a happy camp then. No. In a statement, Landon said, I guess now is as good a time as any to announce I formally exited Scream 7 weeks ago. This will disappoint some and delight others. It was a dream job that turned into a nightmare. and My heart did break for everyone involved. Everyone. But it's time to move on. I have nothing more to add to the conversation other than I hope Wes's legacy thrives and lifts above the din of a divided world. What he and Kevin created is something amazing, and I was honoured to even have the briefest of moments basking in their glow. It's a shame because... I I, l- I like Landon as a filmmaker. Things that he did, like Happy Death Day and Freaky. I'm losing hope for where that franchise is going to go because it needs a major overhaul now because it's lost its key cast and its key visionary filmmaker. On the flip side, we've got some good news. Oh, give me the good news. The Sinner creator, Derek Simmons, has now jumped on board the new reboot of the 80s sci-fi series Battlestar Galactica as writer, Ooh. executive producer, and its new showrunner. This has been in the works for a while, and it's gone through it multiple has. hands. Um, I mean, at one point, Sam Esmail, who gave us Mr. Yeah, Robot that's... and recently Leave the World Behind, uh, had been working on development for it. Michael Leslie was attached to writing executive producer at one point as well. But now we've got a whole new vision coming on board, and uh, Derek Simmons is the man who's hopefully going to give us something fresh it's not going to be a sequel to either of the Battlestar Galacticas that have already been it's going to be a whole new take on this story of the 13 colonies the 13 colonies and their battles against a robot race that they created the Cylons let's see how it goes it's got a huge task to live up to anything from the more recent Battlestar Galactica series that Ron D. Moore gave but it's one of those sci-fi concepts that in the right hands, you could make it. You could make it relevant to the world around us again, because that's what Ron D. Moore did so well. He made it a political and spiritual sign of the early two thousands. All the things that we were going through as a as humanity on this planet were being reflected in a sci fi context, as good sci fi should. I'd like it to go back to. I know, I know, this is this is fanciful, but I'd like it to be a reboot, really, of of the Glenn Larson show, um, and played like the Glenn Larson show as opposed to doing the Ron D. Moore version. Yeah. Uh, and I'd like it to be that sort of fanciful soap opera, sci-fi soap opera that it was. But that's just me. Minecraft movie has now secured Jack Black, who's going to join the cast. He's joining Jason Momoa in the cast he of is. the Minecraft movie. Black will be playing the role of Steve in the film, and Jason Momoa is in the lead role. Eric Myers, Danielle Brooks, and Sebastian Eugene Hansen also co-star in the film. We know nothing about the story of this, but anyone who's ever played, not particularly Minecraft itself, but there's the Minecraft story mode adventure games that were released by uh, Telltale, I think. That's right. They're well worth checking out because that shows what you can do with a story within the Minecraft world. I, it, it, will it hit the heady heights of Super Mario? Who knows? Hey, you, you, you did actually miss out that Matt Berry is one of the voices on that as well. Oh, how did I miss Matt Berry? How could you miss Matt The marvellous Matt Berry. 
and uh, sticking kind of with games, but moving over to toys. And in the wake of the success of Barbie, we know that Mattel are planning to bring various other properties to films. We've spoken about them Major, before, Matt like Mason. Major Matt Mason. Well, now <laughs> they're also suggesting that there's crossover potential and they might be creating a Mattelliverse. Oh, dear. In the words with uh, producer Robbie Brenner at THR, it was said, there's so much crossover potential. Certainly Barbie can live with Hot Wheels because they can drive the same cars. And Matchbox and Major Matt Mason can also come in. Uh, I'm not entirely yeah. sure how I feel yeah, about it. I liked it when it was his own standalone stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it was then spoke about one idea that has been bandied around the Mattel offices where rare Barbies designed by the likes of Jean-Michel Basquiat and Andy Warhol are on display. The other day, someone came to visit and we were giving them a tour and we were showing them the upstairs where the Warhols and the Basquiat. And it happened to have been Halloween. So all the kids were trick-or-treating and in costumes. And I thought to myself, this is a setup for a movie, a kid's heist film where they steal these toys. That's a good Mattel movie. I'm not sold. Please just keep them as individual films. Have fun with your toy properties. Make sure that they work as films. That's what made Barbie a success. Stop trying to jump on the coattails of Barbie. Not everything needs to now link to Barbie. When it comes to talking about our favourite things about 2023, I've of course, I'm going to be mentioning Doctor Who. There have been plans for several spin-offs. Uh, and one of those, and we've mentioned it, is that, and it is only a rumour, is that the focus is going to be on Unit. Yeah, it did seem like in that third of the specials that the, that was kind of being used as a kind of backdoor pilot for a potential Unit series. By introducing a whole mix of characters new to Unit, it's like they're setting this up for a potential idea. And... I'd be down with that. There's also been scattered rumor, rumors that Torchwood might re-emerge. Hopefully not with John Barrowman after um, his more recent years' behaviors. It's all rumors at the moment. What isn't rumors is that Pixar are sticking with safe territory of sequels. I mean, we know we've got Inside Out 2 later this year, and we've got Toy Story 5 in the works. Well, now they've revealed, for good or for bad, they are going to do another Cars film. Um, you know what? I've only seen the first one and I, I didn't think that was great. So I, I kind of rested and went into neutral there. I've, I've got some enjoyment out of the first one because it was Doc Hollywood done with cars. Yeah, basically. The second one was tragically bad. Uh, the third one was had a bit more charm to it and it felt like the proper sequel. But let's be honest, the only reason that they know that they want to make another Cars film is that even if it doesn't perform at the box office, the toy sales for them will make them the money that they need to be profitable. It's all about the merchandise. I remember when the first Cars film came out, and because my kids were of that age that they wanted them at the time, we spent so much money on every version of every toy for the Cars movie <laughs> that you could get. We've still got them in boxes upstairs. We've got every version of Lightning McQueen. We've got every version of Mater. It makes money. They can do 20 different versions, a blue blue Light McQueen, yellow Light McQueen, red Light McQueen. Yes, the kids want them all, and they will buy them. So that's why Cars is going to get it again. I'm not convinced that there's any more story to ring out of that franchise. Let's see. But I am excited for that, Inside Out 2. I'm getting more and more excited as it gets closer. Following his appearance in Loki Season 2, where he basically, and it's really hard to steal the show from that particular cast, Everybody's favourite uh, short round, Ki Hu Kwan, is starring in the action thriller With Love. I'm loving to see this uh, Ki Hu Kwan renaissance that's going on at the moment. 
ever since he, he popped back up on the screens after all those years away in everything, everywhere, all at once, he's now becomes everyone's favourite in anything that he pops up in. And he just seems so joyful. Whenever you see him in interviews, he seems so happy to just be so warmly yes. embraced. He's so likeable an actor. And it's marvellous to see him like getting this this new lease of life later in his career. So the title doesn't really big it up as being an action thriller. Uh, and the plot of the new Universal film has yet to be released. It is produced by Bullet Train director David Leach and producing partner Kelly McCormick via their 87 North company, the team behind John Wick, Nobody and Violet Night. At the moment, Luke Passmore is writing the latest draft of the script and it's likely to shoot at some point in 2024. You know that I was getting excited for the 4K UHD release of The Abyss yes. in March. You were giddy, in fact. I was very giddy. However, we've now discovered that the UK will not be getting that 4K release. You're less than giddy. I'm less than giddy. I'm going to have to import it. It's still coming out, and it's expected that because they're still working on the UHD versions, all the issues that have been reported with regards over-smoothing that has taken place on the digital versions are going to be worked out. Because if you've seen some of the comparison images of the um, True Lies... Arnie looks like he's got a plastic face in some of the images because the smoothing has taken away the film grain as well. So they need to re redo it. But The Abyss, the reason why it's not getting a UK release, it's the drowning rat scene. Really? Yes. Does the rat actually drown? Well, no, because it's an actual science experiment that is being conducted throughout the decades. And that's what Cameron wanted to like use. It, the, the, there's the oxygenated, oxygenated fluid that they lower the rat into. That's right. And it starts breathing. On UK release, it was initially there, but then it got snipped very quickly, as the BBFC said, animal cruelty, this is too much. And so the scene now, it, it infers, it has the everything leading up to the rat going into it, and then it cuts away to reaction shots. And then when it cuts back, the rat's getting taken out of the liquid. So you don't see the rat submerged. But on the full version, which I've seen years ago. Yeah, um, I, I saw that. In, you in see the, the rat under the water. That well, under the oxygenated fluid, gulping and struggling until it finally accepts it into its lungs. And then it's alive. And that rat was perfectly healthy when they took it out. And that was the, that rat lived after there because it's a proper... Had a promising experiment. film career as well. I went it on did. to, to star in to... many of the rat-based <laughs> movies. <laughs> he was one of the rat pack. Um... <laughs> I'll give you that. That's, that's just one, one today for me. <laughs> However, the BBFC still have an issue with that scene and said that they weren't going to pass it with that scene included. And whilst Disney were ready to just say, okay, then cut it, James Cameron's Lightstorm company refused to cut the scene, which has resulted in the UK release not getting a classification. And so import it is, guys. It's a shame, really, as it does highlight some hypocrisy from the BBFC, given that films such as Apocalypse Now, which depicts a live cow being slaughtered on screen, have managed to pass multiple versions of, but I guess that rats who live on a big issue here. <laughs> and finally, uh, we reported last year that John Williams was looking to be stepping back and retiring after he'd finished the Indiana Jones score. Well, he's confirmed this week that he's going to retract all statements because he feels they were taken out of context. He's got no intention to stop working if the right project lands in his lap, he basically wants to say. So John Williams is still going to be composing beautiful scores for years to come. I'd love him to do Superman Legacy. And we've said before that we'd love him to do Bond as well. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, Bond. Well, that's the news. But sadly, since we spoke to you last, there's been some very, very sad passings. Um, and we're going to start with 
Tom Wilkinson, which came as a shock to everybody who's died at the age of 75. Of course, familiar to all film geeks for such a huge amount of varied work. Shakespeare in Love, Batman Begins, uh, Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, uh, Rock and Roll of Valkyrie, Girl with a Pearl Earring, and of course, The Full Monty, which is the film that really sort of shot him up to, to British stardom. Yeah. Scored him uh, a BAFTA, if I remember correctly. It's a really sad loss. I mean, if you bring up a list of the roles that he's played throughout the years, he's in everyone's favourite films somewhere in that list because he was a great character actor, very much a support actor, but always brought something marvellous to it. Uh, but Full Monty, like you say, is the, that's the one that really made people take notice of him and it really struck him on the international stage. And, you know, it led to his hugely dominant career in the 2000s and 2010s. I mean, even films like The Green Hornet. Of course. Fury, Lone Ranger, SAS Red Notice, The Catcher Was a Spy, on TV, Love Joy, Inspector Morse, David Copperfield, Watership Down TV series. I mean, he's voiced things. He starred in things. He was an absolute British legend. He was made an officer of the Order of the British Empire, getting the OBE in 2005 for his services to drama. And he passed away on the 30th of December, suddenly at home, his wife and family around him. Specifics of the cause have not been revealed. He was nominated for Academy Awards for an actor in a leading role in The Brilliant in the Bedroom in 2001 and in a supporting role for the much hugely underrated Michael Clayton in 2007. And from us, he will be very, very sadly missed. Actress Cindy Morgan passed away. Her, she was found dead on the 30th of December of Natural Causes. Now, who is Cindy Morgan? Well, for well, people of a Tron. certain age, Tron and Caddyshack spring to yes. mind. Uh, she played Lacey Underall in break, the breakthrough role in Caddyshack. And that is one of my favourite names of any character, Lacey Underall. She followed that with American Gigolo and then Tron. And as a young boy watching Tron, Cindy Morgan was an absolute star to me. Uh, she's had TV roles, recurring roles in Falcon Crest, guest roles in 80s favourites like Fall Guy, Love Boat, Matlock, Chips. She's one of those actresses that not everyone knows, but those who do will always have a fondness for one of her roles. For me, it's Tron, and I'm watching Tron after we finish recording today, just in memory of her. There was also the sad passing of David Leland, a British film director, screenwriter, and actor who became, well, shot to international fame for his directorial debut, Wish You Here, way back in 1987. Other such films as Personal Services, Made in Britain, The Land Girls, uh, The Big Man, Virgin Territory were all part of Leland's films. Yeah, as, as an actor, he appeared in various films and TV, such as Scars of, Scars of Dracula, Gawain and the Green Knight. He, he was under heavy makeup in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the TV series, and he also appeared in Jewel and the Crown. And he wrote films such as one of my faves, Mona Lisa, the Neil Jordan film, and Mike Newell's Birth of a Nation, and also the TV series The Borgias. A sad loss, passed away age 82 on Christmas Eve. And on the 4th of January, we lost Glynis Johns, who is known to generations for playing the mother, Winifred Banks, in Mary Poppins. Johns was 100, passed away in West Hollywood from natural causes at, assist, at an assisted living facility in the area. She had a career that spanned eight decades on the screen and on stage and appeared in more than 60 films and 30 plays. And as Andy said, yes, Mary Poppins, but for me... It will always be alongside Danny Kaye 
in The Court Jester, which is one of the funniest films of all time. And then the final one that we want to bring, and this is one that if you listen to our deep dive when we covered Salem's Lot, you will know that this is one that impacts on both me and Lee. And that's the sad passing of David Soul. I was about to do some live radio. And as I walked in to the BBC studio, uh, my phone pinged and delivered the news that David Soul passed away. And it was one of those where I was instantly asked, and I wasn't there to talk about David Soul, but instantly asked to talk about him. It was a bit of a shock because he was an American actor that had, again, a career that spanned five decades, rose to prominence playing Detective Ken Hutch Hutchinson, the other partner in the classic TV series Starskin Hutch, which ran from 75 to 79. But in later life, he moved to the UK and had a fantastic career here in Great Britain. Like you say, Starskin Hutch, again, people of a certain generation, our generations, grew up watching the antics of those crime-solving duo. That basically set the template for the buddy cop kind of genre that let like movies spun off in the late 80s from. Yeah, the very first couple of seasons were much grittier mm. until they reached this huge global popularity because the, they were good friends in, in real life and that shines through. They were, they were good buddies and that relationship was, was clear on screen. That chemistry worked. Uh, and then they got a bit silly. They sort of tamed down the, the cop bit to work on the sort of humour between the two. But the very first pilot in particular, which I think Michael Mann had something to do with, was was brilliant. And if, if it wasn't for that, then I think we would have seen probably more soul on, on, on the movies as a supporting man because he didn't really hit it out as a, as a leading man until after that. He rose to prominence for me in Clint Eastwood's Magnum Force, the sequel to Dirty Harry, where he played a, a crooked cop. Yeah. But Salem's Lot was the one I'll always go to yeah. for, for his work. I think he was brilliant, absolutely brilliant in the role of Ben Mears, the writer who comes back to Salem's Lot to basically look at his past. And it's a fantastic performance. Um, and well worth revisiting. His wife, Helen Snell, who he met back in 2002 after working on the British stage production Death Trap, confirmed his death, saying that he fought a valiant battle surrounded by his family. And he's a sad loss, as are all these five people. Sad losses to the industry that we love. And that, folks, that's the news. So in 2024, we want to take the world, the multiverse, by storm, and we need your help be able to do that if you've not already subscribed to the film file podcast then please do so by heading over to your favorite podcast platform hitting that subscription button and leave a like and if you are a fan we want you to spread the word because this year we want to hit some major figures we have as ever uh, ambitions to where we'd like to take the film file and we cannot do it without you dear listeners so if you like what you're listening to spread the word get everybody on board and become part of the Film File family. And you can get in touch with us too. Yes, all you have to do is head over to social media, search for Film File UK. You'll probably find us on the major services. Or you can email us, podcast at filmfile.uk. Tell us what you're looking forward to this year. Tell us what you want us to watch 
this year. Some of your old favourites that you want onto our ever-expanding deep dive list, because trust me, we've got about 400 <laughs> films is. listed. It's huge. <laughs> Every time that we talk about films in general conversation, I'm taking notes. Uh, so just get in touch with us. We'd love to hear from any of you. So no proper deep dive, because this time round, we are deep diving the entire year of 2023 oh, from a geek perspective of course and it's been an interesting year two films that weren't on anybody's radar has been a big hit and been a bit of a dicey one ended up exploding the box office quite literally in places um superhero films took a real bashing with the cry of is it over for the superhero franchise movies mm. so andy what was the box office line for 2023 well, yeah, we saw shifting trends this year, which has uh, shown Films that... should have done well. It's shown that the Marvel and DC properties are not a safe bet and indeed are looking less and less profitable. And this year that we've got more or less a bit of a breathing space is probably long overdue. Uh, 2023's worldwide box office, the top five films this year, Barbie with $1.44 Super Mario Brothers in second place with $1.36 billion. Oppenheimer in third place with 952 million. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, the only superhero entry in the top five, 846 million. And Fast X, 705 million to take fifth place. The global box office overall actually was up significantly on 2022, a 30.5% increase over the previous year's box office, hitting $33.9 billion overall, which shows that. Even though the big blockbusters haven't been doing it, something's been generating enough money to prop the industry back up post-COVID. And we have had a wealth of releases this year. I mean, there's people who say, oh, not much came out this year because all they're looking at is the blockbusters. And you can see normally the top five, at least four of them are over a billion, but only two of them are over a billion this year. So we've got a very different market out there. Everything's finishing around 450 to 500. Seeing that we're up 30.5% over last year, bodes well for the industry as a whole but the lesson that needs to be learned is spend lower budgets to make sure that this is profit and not just takings and for the uk figures our own box office improved eight percent over last year's figures and it crossed a billion for the first time since the pandemic barbie was the highest grossing comedy of all time it's the highest grossing female directed film of all time it's the fastest warner brothers film to hit a billion taking only 17 days to get there and Mario was the first video game movie to pass a billion and the highest grossing worldwide opening weekend of all time. Um, Oppenheimer was the highest grossing World War II movie and the highest grossing biopic of all time. So it's quite a successful year to blow fanfares about quite a few things. But we need to not get complacent because analysts, are, like I've said, are already predicting that the year to come is going to see a bit of a hit because of the strike actions last year. So... Next year, expect to see around about a 12% drop-off at least on this year's figures before hopefully we'll start to see the recovery again through 2025. There were some major surprises. The Little Mermaid underperformed. Uh, Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. It was only quite recently that Tom Cruise saved the movie industry with Top Gun Maverick, but this underperformed against all expectation. Elemental was one of those films that was written off but did a bit of a Lazarus and came back due to good word of mouth. Other disappointments, Transformers Rise of the Beast, Meg 2 The Trench, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which had high expectations, just didn't 
find an audience. We talked about the superhero movies, The Flash underperformed, Marvels was an absolute disappointment, as was Ant-Man Quantumania. Aquaman, as it, it I mean, it's still out there, but it's not going to finish anywhere near profit. Shazam Fury of the Gods and Blue Beetle. It's, yep. It took a lot of people by surprise this year. Things that, which would genuinely be a, a sure bet, are really, really disappointed. So what did the year look like for films and how did people respond to them? Well, I want to start this off by pointing out that his annual tradition, former United States President Barack Obama, always loves to share his thoughts on films at the end of the year and what stood out for him. And uh, this year, he mainly called out three films that come from his own production company. There's the Coleman Domingo-led biopic Rustin, the Julia Roberts and Maya Shahrali-led End of the World thriller Leave the World Behind, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and the musician documentary American Symphony were top of his list. But he did say, I am biased since these movies were produced by Higher Ground, his production company. But these are, in fact, three of the best films I saw this year. But to make sure that no one says he's just playing favourites, he then released the list of 10 other films he considers as the year's best. And I always find it interesting to see what he says that he loves. Obama's list because his, his book list and his music list, even though there's stuff I've not read or heard, there, there's such joy in them. Yeah. This year, his other 10 best are The Holdovers, which releases in the UK in two weeks' time, Blackberry, Oppenheimer, American Fiction, which releases in about four weeks' time in the UK, Anatomy of a Fall, Monster, Past Lives, uh, Polite Society, and a thousand and one. And I love that polite society is in amongst that because that was so <laughs> underwatched by so many people. And everyone needs to check that out. Obama likes it. You must watch it. Coming off the back of that, before we get into the question that we left you all with and seeing what your responses are, let's talk about the films that stood out for me and Lee this year. Now, it's worth noting at this point that I watched 520 films last year, <laughs> of which 182 of them were new films from 2023. So this was quite a, a chore and an achievement to narrow down my list. It was interesting looking through these stats because Letterboxd does this thing now where it also does, as well as doing genres that you watch and what you like, it also does themes and nano genres. And as you'd expect, my most watched films have themes such as monsters, aliens, sci-fi in the apocalypse, or dangerous technology in the apocalypse, adrenaline-fueled action, epic heroes. However, the films that I rate the highest have themes such as sins, forgiveness, and challenging faith, powerful stories of heartbreak and Ill- illness, moving relationship stories. So it turns out I'm actually a bit of a twisted softie at heart, and I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not really a geek. <laughs> but that should give you some idea of where we're going to go when I talk about the ones that stood out for me. But we did have a bit of crossover, didn't we? Yeah, so I think rather than you do your list and I do my list, uh, there are at least two films on there that, that sort of crossover. We should, we should do it that way when, when we talk about it rather than just keep you here as we go through our entire list. So we're both going to start with a film that you introduced me to, told me I had to see it, and that's Marcel Michelle with shoes on. Hi everybody, it's Marcel. I'm recording this video because I'm looking for my family. Marcel the Shell and the search for a family reuniting. Oh, Oh, that's nice to know. There must be so many others like me. 
this is just if you've still not seen Marcel, it's on the streaming services now. It's definitely one to check out. It's filled with charm. It was picking up from two shorts that came out in 2016-ish that you can find on YouTube to get an idea of what you're going to be letting yourself in for for this two-hour ride of the, a talking show. And if you watch those shorts and you don't instantly fall in love with Marcel Lachelle, then you are dead inside. And the film is a marvellous, marvellous, heartfelt documentary about an animated show. And you cannot help but cry at points in it. It really taps into every element and it's genuinely funny. It works because Dean Fleischer camps boundless imagination and pushing stop motion animation with a huge heartfelt script is just that winning blend of visual splendor, world building, along with the creative talents of Jenny Slate, who voices Marcel with wit, warmth and wisdom far beyond his young years. This isn't a twee film. This film deals with sadness and it's just a fantastic ride. It, it's one of those little films that can and often does. There's a reason why I've had a pin badge of Marcel pinned onto my lapel of my coat for pretty much all of last year. And that's because Marcel became my spirit animal by the end of this film. And I, I just want to be, I want to have that kind of optimistic outlook in life that Marcel has. No matter what life has thrown at this poor little shell, he's always got this pure optimistic point of view. And a, a unique worldview. It's a unique look at humanity from the eyes of an animated show. Or from, should I say, the eye of an animated show. Charming. I, I was so pleased when you watched it and you said that you were absolutely captivated by it. And it's one of it's one of our combined picks of the year. So one of the films that you caught that I didn't was A Man Called Otto. Looking through my list... There's, you know, there's all the 2023 releases, but this is one that kind of slipped over from 2022 because it didn't come out in the UK until the start of 2023. Uh, Man Called Otto. I've not seen the original Man Called Ove, but I do want to track it down and watch it. But this was, again, just a charming look. Uh, a charming look at a man who wants to kill himself. And that sounds like it must be the most depressing film that you will ever watch, but it's not. It's actually one of those life-affirming views on what it means to be part of a community and what it means to actually find find a new lease in life. Marvellously acted by the ever-excellent Tom Hanks. It is definitely one of my gems of this year. One of mine, and it's a Marvel movie, and it is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And this is how you say goodbye to characters that you fall in love with. A huge farewell to those intergalactic a-holes. Taking characters that no one new and turning them and transforming them into household names has just been a huge labor of love for James Gunn. Mm. It's a brilliant balancing act of, of humor. There's some deeper and darker and, and heartbreaking tones to this film that have seen been seen in the previous films. And it took our characters that we've grown to love in directions that I don't think anyone really, really expected. Of course, it had a, some great needle drops. The creep opening, dog days are over in the finale. This was a fantastic way to say goodbye to characters that we've grown to love over the last decade. Yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It didn't make my top list. And that's because it's very clear from the films that I sent over to Lee that I have become an A24 junkie this year. I'm going to throw two of my A24 ones out as the next two picks. 
and that's Bowie's Afraid and Dream Scenario, which both explored aspects of personality and psyche in a kind of twisted sci-fi-esque um, psychological dreamscape kind of way both marvelously acted by their leads both the kind of films that sit with you afterwards and make you reflect on aspects of your own life and your own interpretations of the themes that are being explored within dream scenario and Bo's afraid absolutely blew me away as soon as I watched them and the ones that I'm going to look forward to revisiting over and over again over the years. Though it underperformed at the box office, I still had an absolute whale of a time with Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning, part one. We don't know what part two is going to be called now uh, because <laughs> apparently they've gone through some kind of na name change on it. Uh, and before the film came out, it was all about Tom Cruise's stunts. But then you get to see the movie. And yes, Cruise it's just a, a unique star presence. The, uh, the guy will put himself into basically acts that could all go very, very wrong. <laughs> but this managed to, and I think this is down to the relationship between Christopher McQuarrie and Tom Cruise. It's the same kind of relationship that someone like uh, James Stewart and Alfred Hitchcock have. And it works because it's different than mm -hmm. the previous installments and manages to do something fresh and still deliver all those things that we expect from a Mission Impossible film. It has some of that old-fashioned spy genre that I loved, and it has something to say about new technology. It went into, again, some unexpected areas that made it darker and gave it some depth on previous films. And I just had an absolute roller coaster ride with this film. And I love the Mission Impossible film so much that I can't wait to go back to this film in preparation for part two. As well as becoming an A24 junkie this year, I also fell deeply in love with Mia Goth, thanks particularly to the next two films that I'm going to mention. Pearl, which is another one that carried over from 2022 that we didn't get until early this year, early 2023 in the UK, and Infinity Pool. Pearl is just magnificently twisted in a gloriously technicolor kind of way. It reflects the films of the year that it's set in, but in a very twisted, imaginative manner. And Mia Goth, by the time it got to the closing scene, when she holds a disturbing smile as she's trying to cover up the inner breaks of her psyche while the end credits are rolling, boy, she showcased what she was capable of. And then Infinity Pool, she is crazy. She is absolutely absolutely twistedly bonkers in a film that only Cronenberg could deliver because it's just it's phenomenal it's it's a film that leaves you disturbed leaves you feeling dirty it leaves you unnerved and it leaves you wanting more two films both of them which will sit with you for a long time after the credits roll Infinity Pool and Pearl a, a film that I'm surprised you didn't put on your list and I caught this rather late uh, was The Fablemans and, and mm. it's the thing about Steven Spielberg's sort of later years film. He's kind of had this wandering down through his own past. And I think West Side Story was one of those films that he grew up with and therefore was the, the best person to bring it back to the screen. But this is closer to home as it's a kind of cinematic autobiography about a young kid after seeing The Greatest Show on Earth at the movies wants to make those films. And it's a, a story about magic. It's a story about the magic of cinema. Uh, it has a sweetness to it, and it has some real underlying piercings of, of, 
of sadness as we talk about family life. I thought it was a beautiful film, uh, one that I was absolutely captivated with. And anybody who thinks that Spielberg is now going through the motions, forget it. Forget the idea because The Fablemans is just a, a beautiful a film of growing up and talking about the purity of cinema. Yeah, it, it's not that I didn't like Fablemans. I mean, it was just bubbling under in my list. That was one of the ones that was struggling to work out whether it needed to be in the suggestions. I mean, we did say this was going to be a t like a five films from each, but neither of us stuck at five films because uh, we're, <laughs> we're both bad at doing this. Um, but there were just so many films for me to pick from, and I had to go with the ones that impacted on me the most. And it meant, sadly, I think the Fablemans got knocked out by something that entered my list at the last minute. And that's Godzilla Minus One, which was the which best I did love a lot. Godzilla movie that I've ever seen. It's a film in which Godzilla is used as a metaphor for post-traumatic stress and survivor guilt. And you could take the monster out of the film and still have a really good human drama film that would have kept me captivated for the two hours runtime. It looks fantastic. It cost hardly anything and looked better than most big blockbusters that were released this year. And I, I've popped my head into the screens while I've been on shift so many times to catch see, catch shots of that film again. And I can't wait for the home release. That's getting a UHD release. Uh, straight into my drive and I'm going to be watching that film over and over again. Godzilla Minus One was a very late entry, but it did knock. Potentially Fablemans was the one that would, would have maybe crept and stayed within my list, but Godzilla Minus One had to knock it out because I I could have just done 25 films, but I wanted to keep it about to about seven. <laughs> so it's been an odd year for animated films this year. Disney underperformed with Wish. Elementals finally found an audience after being basically written off. But Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse has been a, a tour de force of beautiful, beautiful animations. Now, Into the Spider-Verse introduced us to Miles Morales and through some visually stunning animated adventures has now gone on to push it to even greater heights with this sequel. It's bold. It's brilliantly designed, beautifully animated, crossing between various different animation styles. Uh, this time, Miles Morales is sent careening across the multiverse, meeting various, various different Spider-Mans from different dimensions. And he also, at the heart of it, has heart. As simple mm. as that, it has, it has a resonance. It's an audacious piece of work. The scene that always stands out to me when it came up on the screen literally took my breath away, which was the whole Gwen Stacy section done in watercolours. And at that point, I was completely, completely won over by this film. I don't think it's as good a film as Into the Spider-Verse from a story point of view, but from a just a, a piece of spectacle and a piece of art. And it is literally art. It, it, it's a fantastic movie. Looking forward so much to the sequel. Do we think it's a shoe-in for the Oscar? Into the Spider-Verse got the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. Do we think this is a shoe-in? Oh, I think so. I think so. It, it can't be ignored. This, this, We've not seen a movie that looks like this. And, and it's inspired so many other films. I mean, you think about the latest Puss in Boots movie mm. or Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have all been inspired to, to push the boundaries of what animation can do in a way that Wish felt tired by yeah. comparison. Saltburn was another late entry for me, but it needs a mention. When I reviewed it on the show... My other half's favourite film of the year, by the way. Your other half's got really good taste. It was just a great film. I mean, I know when we, I reviewed it on the show, 
I said that like I found connection with the character at the start of it because he comes from my hometown. And so I was like, I can reflect on this. And then as the film progressed, he no longer reflected me uh, because it gets a bit twisted and dark and all over the place. But it's, it's a funny film. It's a dark film. And it's a film that sits with you afterwards. Kyogen showcased exactly what he can do front and centre because he's been a great supporting actor in so many things. This time we got to see him absolutely dominate on screen against some heavyweights of cinema as well. You know, some heavyweight names of film, but he just absolutely stole everything. It was a great film, but it's one of those films that I understand when people watch it and go, I don't like it, I don't get it because it is, it's right up my twisted alley, let's be honest. (laughs) One of the films that no one expected to make quite the explosion at the box office that it did is hey we're releasing a film about the bringer of death the atomic bomb as a summer movie but only christopher nolan has the audacity to be able to do that this is a story of the real life weapon creator more horrifying than anything that's depicted in science fiction based on fact but it it feels at times like a genre films this race against time to beat the nazis we've seen that before it's a film about loss mm-hmm. guilt confusion It's a film in which the title character, who's built up to be a hero, is then broken by the very government that he worked for. It's Of course, it's a Nolan film, so it works in non-linear. It's an absolute huge achievement. It's a step forward for Nolan, a colossal feat of filmmaking. And a film that for the first time, and I do find Nolan, can be a little bit cold, but made me care about the central character. Uh, and that's down to a beautiful performance by Killian Murphy. But it's also, it's a great ensemble piece. Nobody in this film is wasted. Genius piece of filmmaking and one that deserves to do incredibly well at the Academy Awards. And you can't say Oppenheimer without mentioning one other film because both of them caused a huge box office at the same time this year, creating a whole idea of meshing meshing two films together for a back-to-back that have nothing in common that I can see getting repeated sometimes in the future. I mean, there's already one month this year where there's four big films due out on the same week and no one wants to budge at this point in time because I think they're all hoping for this Oppenheimer and Barbie kind of success. And Barbie is the other film that both me and Lee had on our our lists together because it's a film that both of us absolutely loved the exploration of. Hi, Barbie. Hi, Ken. Barbies, my heels are on the ground. What do I have to do? You can go back to your regular life or know the truth about the universe. The first one, you have to want to know. Barbie in the real world. Yes. Everything is backwards here. Girls hate me. Who are you? Oh. And I keep getting arrested. I also just learned to cry. First I got one tear and then I got a whole bunch. Now, you'll know if you're a regular listener to the show and you have been a long-time listener that even when Barbie was first announced, I was all giddy with excitement over the whole idea of it. Lee took some convincing. I did. He thought I was mental for most of, most of the year. And then the trailer started to come out and he started to see what I knew Gerwig was going to approach it as. But even as much as I was looking forward to it, I was not expecting it to be so smart at the same time. It was hilarious. It was smart. It was feminist, but it wasn't toxic feminism it had masculine aspects it covered toxic masculinity but it also showcased that not all masculinity is toxic it balanced everything perfectly it wasn't just a barbie movie it was a barbie and ken movie yeah it showed the positives and negatives of both sides of the sex divide 
it was so well done. I had tears in my eyes at a few points in it, either from laughing or from the genuine gut punch emotions that it conveyed as Barbie started to see the real world and what she really meant to little girls in the real world. What a film. Let's be honest, this is not the film based on an iconic doll that we were expecting. <laughs> it, it's inventive. It was uh, it was funny. It was dramatic. It had some great musical numbers, some great dancing, had a whole ton of heart. Margot Robbie was simply perfection as a stereotypical Barbie. A perfect feminine creation, just enjoys a life in a matriarchal Barbie land. Ryan Gosling, I don't think I've ever seen him have so much fun on screen and his commitment to Ken just shone through in every sequence. I mean, he, it's hard to steal a film from Margot Robbie, but boy, did he come very, very close. Anybody who just thought there was going to be a pink plastic, empty movie, and I did, were proved absolutely wrong. It said something. And that's where a lot of films are going wrong these days. They don't have anything to say about what the world is. And, and that being a, a woman, a mother, a partner, what it's like to be a, a human being, what it's like to be cared for and loved. I think those are purely universal themes. And this film, thanks to Greta Gerwig, it was a, an inspired choice to bring this to the screen, made it, for me, my film of the year. And I can't believe I would have said that this time last year. So if you take anything from these lists of films that have stood out to both me and Lee, what you should definitely take is that the films that you need to see are Marcel Lachelle with shoes on and Barbie because both of us, you can see from our other films that whilst we kind of enjoy what the other ones are, we've both got very varied tastes. We've got very different tastes as to what we think is pinnacle of cinema but these are the films that crossed over and these are the films that we say, if you've not watched them yet, get them straight on your list. But we threw it out to you guys instead to ask for, you know, what gave you the biggest laughs? What gave you the biggest scare? What was the biggest surprise? What was your biggest disappointment? And what is the film that you think defines 2023? How did we do? Well, responses-wise on socials was a bit lacklustre. <laughs> really? Maybe people have reached that stage of doing too many best of 23. I think so, yes. But I also reached out to some of the team at work as well and got some answers from them uh, but we'll start with what we did get on the socials now we can always rely on owen cooper and Lindsay story to reply to the questions uh, we love engaging with uh, you two lovely listeners out there so owen cooper said the less we say about exorcist believer the better got yep. to say my biggest laughs have been from barbie all of ken's scenes steal the show my biggest scares were from talk to me especially with that possession scene another scare was cocaine burr's script <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and the flashes baby scene. <laughs> In yeah. terms of surprises, I have to say that Wonka definitely got me the best. Uh, to sum up, twenty twenty three, Saltburn will probably be the best, not because of its content, but because of its structure and the rushed third act. These past few months have flown by, and he then wished us all a happy new year. Lindsay said, "I think you know what my biggest disappointment was, Exorcist Believer. So the less said about that, the better. Biggest laugh and cry, Guardians Volume Three, and the." I'm just Ken Song in Barbie. Biggest surprise was Pearl and how Mia Goth is my new obsession. Yep, I'm with you there. Absolutely with you there, Lindsay. And loved Wonka so much too. My mumsy just wants to make it clear that she doesn't watch many films at the cinema. Didn't get around to watch as much as, she, as much as she'd like. But the one film that gave her a laugh was Barbie. Lee Christopher Leary, Tetris was a real surprise and an excellent well-acted film. Yeah, great film. Really good film. Kevin Matthews didn't answer the question, but... 
I feel that I need to mention that he was far too distracted by listening to our latest episode and wished that one of us had pointed out the unintentional pun when you said that Marvel wouldn't make any snap decisions. Oh, yeah. Did I say that? You did, apparently. And I replied to him just to say, you know, it just didn't click at the time. On that How we note. thought it through. It's all in the script. <laughs> On that note, we'll move over to what some of my fellow colleagues at work thought of films this year. So Ren Crane laughed the most at Bottoms, was scared the most by Talk To Me, biggest surprise was Saltburn, biggest disappointment, Red, White and Royal Blue. Didn't get round to watching that one in the end. I know it's got reviewed reasonably well by most critics but i'm gonna have to watch it now just to see just to talk with ren because me and ren tend to have the same kind of opinions on a lot of things and ren loves coming out of films and just straight away making a beeline to me to find out what i thought of it so we could discuss things and the defining film of 2023 infinity pool Uh, phoebe woodhouse laughed the most at cocaine bear just a dumb film but so much fun Scared the most by Talk To Me. Didn't see many films that truly scared me this year, but the scene where Riley gets possessed and nearly kills himself filled me with dread. Biggest disappointment, Five Nights at Freddy's. Never been as close to walking out of the cinema before. And defining film, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Such a big cultural phenomenon that got literally everyone to the cinema. Josh Keogh. Laughed the most at Bottoms and Theatre Camp. Scared the most by Talk To Me. Talk To Me is making a lot of people's lists here. Bigger surprise. Didn't expect Marcel Lachelle to be so heartwarming. Yep, you know that we're with you there, Josh. Killers of the Flower Moon blew me away and is the only Scorsese film I've enjoyed so far. Biggest disappointment was probably Saltburn. (sighs) Which I think falls apart the more you think about it. And me and Ren are both going to be having serious words with Josh sometime in the future. And defining films have to be, again, Barbie and Oppenheimer. Stephen Young. Stephen kind of, I don't think he quite read the question properly, but he just gave us a list of films that stood out for him. So he loved Wonka. He loved John Wick 4. Forgot about John Wick 4. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Asteroid City. There's just so many. And it's interesting with Asteroid City because normally Wes Anderson films make my top list every year. This is the first yeah, time. Yeah, and I liked Asteroid City, but it wasn't It wasn't a fave. Yeah, it was very Wes Anderson, which means that yeah. I thoroughly enjoyed it, but it didn't tell me anything. And yeah. Carl Hodkin laughed the most at some other hood scared by scared by saltburn <laughs> i don't know what scared him in saltburn the most uh, biggest surprise was barbie biggest disappointment was the marvels got love for the marvels for if, it, if you talk about superhero films my biggest disappointment was aquaman and shout out to barbenheimer weekend for the greatest weekend since joining the cinema industry six years ago barbenheimer as a whole seems to have been an impact on a lot of people this year biggest last me came from tv uh, what we do in the shadows has just been sublime this year uh, and shrinking, which I just absolutely fell in love with. Biggie scares. Uh, talk to me. I know we both agree on that one. Evil Dead Rising scared me to death. <laughs> you remember in the cinema? Yes, It wasn't a well. great movie, but I did actually <laughs> leap out of the seat at one bit. A biggest surprise was Rye Lane, which I thought was it did something unique and wonderful with such a a, a recognizable genre yes biggest disappointments the dc movies this year were very very disappointing Uh, and to be honest even though i like marvel's quantumania was a huge disappointment if you want to look at absolute trash then haunted mansion or meg 2 would just i just (laughs) thought would really just a disappointment of my time and again like everybody else what defines 2023 it's got to be got to be barbie hasn't it gotta be barbie uh, yeah my biggest laughs came from either bottoms or theater camp two absolutely hilarious films theater camp if you've still not seen it it's on disney plus it's well worth checking out if you like mock documentaries like spinal tap you will love theater camp a uh, bigger scare talk to me bigger surprise for me was saw 10 because i expected it to be trash and it was actually a really 
really good character study of the serial killer. You start to care for the jigsaw killer in the first half hour of it. It makes him feel human. Whether they can continue that success with Saw 11 this year, I don't know. Biggest disappointment was either Exorcist Believer or Cocaine Bear. Cocaine Bear, I expected some enjoyment. I didn't expect that rubbish. And Exorcist Believer, we were both quite looking forward to that. We both yeah, thought yeah. it looked quite, quite a good idea. And then it just did Your review made me stay away. And yeah, Barbie defines the year. Uh, we've also want to touch on some TV that stood out for me and Lee this year. So uh, I'll give you my list and then just I'll just make it a brief list. Um, yes. Last of Us started at the beginning of the year. It just blew me away. The best adaptation of a video game today. And yes, that episode moved me to tears. Yes. Poker Face, which was just, just sheer brilliance. Uh, the idea of it being a throwback to the 70s. Absolutely loved it. If you didn't get a chance to see it, find it. I think we're both going to agree with the bear. Uh, yeah. I'm into season two now. I just think it's brilliant. There's something mesmerizing about it. Shrinking, I thought was this year's Ted Lasso. Love Ted mm -hmm. Lasso, but shrinking, I don't know. It, it, it hit me. I think it was the, a timing issue with what was going on in my life at that particular point. And I think shrinking really, really found a place for me. And it was just great to have Doctor Who back. I loved the Christmas Day special. Yeah, I've avoided reviews because I, I think reviews written by middle-aged men about it are going to be wrong because that's not it it's aimed at anymore. But was it ever? And I think Shutigatwa has just so much charisma, just made it. It was sad to see Tennant leave, but he didn't really, did he? And my other half absolutely fell in love with Shutigatwa as well. It wasn't the best episode of Doctor Who, but it was a great opener for a new Doctor. The series of the year for me, and it's been the series of the year for the last few years, is Slow Horses, and I'm so pleased that it just announced a season five. And while ever Gary Oldman wants to make it, I'll keep watching it. Yeah, there was some crossover between me and Lee. I also had Last of Us, Poker Face, and The Bear on there. Three absolutely solid standouts. But I've also got Scott Pilgrim Takes Off, which I thought was a unique new take on the Scott Pilgrim property. Fall of the House of Usher, which I had a lot of love for the, the, the style, the approach, the throwbacks to old school horror that were getting thrust in throughout. Interview with a Vampire, which is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Silo which landed on Apple TV, was a great... Uh, no episode felt weak. It felt like a great structured first season, and I can't wait to see where it goes on season two. There's loads of other TV shows that we both watch this year. We regularly bring them as neat things. So if you want to know what catches our eyes TV-wise over the next year, just keep tuning in every week, because in our neat things, we'll keep you up to date on what shows have caught our eyes. TV and film have become so interwoven in style and themes that we can't just do a film show without mentioning TV these days. So that's 2023. Uh, what can we expect over the next week and into 2024? So in cinemas next week, we've got The Boys in the Boat, which is George Clooney's latest film. The Beekeeper, it's Jason Statham. I know what to expect with that. And Yorgos Lanthimos's Poor Things arrives in UK cinemas this coming week. I'm looking forward to that one. I'm not a fan of Yorgos Lanthimos. I'm approaching it with trepidation. On Now TV and Sky, Scott Adkins pops up again as Navy SEAL Jake Harris in One More Shot a sequel to the rather lacklustre 2021 action film. Book Club, the next chapter, should be enticing to none of us. And A Tiger's <laughs> Journey also lands. Over on Netflix, Kevin Hart races to steal $500 million in gold from a passenger plane in Lyft from director F. Gary Gray. Great director. Shame, that, shame about Kevin Hart. 
Red Rocket, a dark comedy from 2022, also lands on there. Over on Amazon, Roleplay sees David Oyelowo discovering his wife, Kaylee Kiwoko, is a high-profile wanted assassin. In this reversal of the film that we've seen 400 times over the past three years, as everyone's stolen the True Lies formula, and The Marsh King's Daughter, which is a tense thriller which stars Daisy Ridley, which looks like it could be interesting. So it's a good start to the year. We've got no time to review any of the films, that, and I've seen a lot of films over the last month, but keep an eye out on the YouTube channel because I do intend to pop some reviews of a few of the films that I've seen recently on there over the next week, particularly Society of the Snow, One Life and Priscilla. But we haven't got time because this year, this episode has been all about 2023. It has so much. And, and thank you for staying with us through 2023. And please stay with us in the 2024. We, we bring this show because we love doing it. And we, we love cinema and all things geekdom. And please stick with us and spread the word. And uh, we'll see you all for a proper regular show next week. So before we go, you make my life so much bigger. And I'm wondering if I do the same thing for you.